0: Welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. I'm your friend and host, Nick LaPara. I hope things are going swimmingly for you and yours so far in 2020. And if they aren't, know that I'm in your corner rooting for you. I'm serious, that's not a throwaway statement. I'm rooting for you. A couple of situations have happened in the last few days in my community that have reminded me how hard it is for us to ask for help and receive help when things aren't going the way that we want them to. Does anyone out there know what I'm talking about? It's so hard, but we cannot do everything. We cannot be everything, and we must get better at asking for and receiving help. It truly takes a village for us to become everything we are meant to become. Friends, I'm not going to charge you for that little piece of advice, and I do hope that little random thought connected with at least one or two of you out there. My guest today is a man I look up to quite a bit. Will Cuff and I met at our favorite cigar shop in Nashville about a year ago. We both like cigars, so that's always a great start to a friendship. But the more and more I got to know Will, I realized for sure that I wanted to share his life and story and work with you all. Will and his wife, Tiffany, started Corner to Corner a few years ago in Nashville. They started this organization believing that Nashville should be a place where all neighbors flourish, not just some. Now, Will is a Christian, so there are some Christian overtones and undertones and everything in between in this conversation. Having said that, I truly believe this conversation has something for you, whether you're religious or not. He's an amazing, amazing dude. Will and his family give so many dams, and I'm hoping our conversation sparks a fire under some of y'all's asses to love, serve, and work more intentionally in your city, whoever you are, wherever you are. Enough chit chat. Let's get right into my conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Will Aka. How much do those cost?
1: Uh this body is like twelve hundred.
0: Oh yeah, that's that's affordable.
1: I mean, in the yeah, world it's, of photography. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's expensive. Yeah. It's it's someone's car out there, but yeah. it's and affordable. it was for... my motorcycle. Yeah.
1: Cause I used to that was my stress reliever was long distance motorcycle touring. Mm-hmm. So I'd like put all my camping gear on the back and just be gone. Um,
0: Up until w- at what point?
1: Uh, so my son, part of our story, my son has special needs. Um, and that has re uh, reframed our home life yeah. in kind of every way imaginable. Um, and in the course of that, my wife started what I would describe as a, a war of attrition uh, against me and the motorcycle. Yeah. Um, and it felt like that. It wasn't like... Um, It felt personal. Sure. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. That's fine. (laughs) Uh, And how did you
0: get through that? So
1: we ended up at a stalemate for a long time where she thought we were compromising. I thought I was losing. Um, That was uh, the motorcycle got to be in the garage. So it still existed in our life, but it was on a trickle charger. Yeah. But I was not allowed to drive it anymore because the thought of me dying on the motorcycle and her you know, raising our two kids solo – um, with the special needs kind of thrown in there was yeah it? no, um, and so it just sat there for a year, and then we went to Hope Heals, um, the camp started mm-hmm. by Jay and mm-hmm. Catherine Wolf, who've mm-hmm. um, been awesome in this whole journey, um, and in dialoguing with some of the men there, you know, mm-hmm. who had like been on the like special needs family journey for decades, they were just like, yeah, you need to say goodbye to that motorcycle. That was a sweet part of your life. But in order for you to like love and serve your family really well right now, that has to be uh, over. Um, and I I was able to hear it. You know, sometimes you're in a place where you can hear something better. Um, and so, well, and
0: I, sometimes it's not even for lack of love for our partner or our spouse, but it feels different coming from. There's so much going on in that relationship. Oh, Hopefully, absolutely. so much good and some not yeah. so good. But like, um, but uh, like. Yeah, it, it feels different coming from someone else saying, okay, we've been yeah. through that. Here's yeah. how we got through it, um, and that's that's what you should do.
1: Yeah, it, it felt like they were, um, yeah, able to speak to me in a way that I was able to hear. And on the return from that trip, I was like, okay, when we get home, I'll sell the motorcycle. But the deal is, please, that this has to turn into another passion. Like, it can't turn into diapers. And so— yeah. She was like, absolutely. I just want you alive. I still want you to have passions in your life, you know, and ways to express kind of creative uh, output that is not related to work or your, you know, normal rhythms of life. And so, uh, right at that time, I had started falling in love with some of the Fuji street photo, like color stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so this used to be a motorcycle and now it's a camera.
0: It's a safer motorcycle.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Remember when I was younger? You know, parents, I think, especially parents that didn't never rode motorcycles but only hear stories about them, you know, they're like, don't oh, ever yeah. get on a fucking motorcycle. Yeah. Like, stay off It fat. will
1: light you on fire and yeah, stab literally. you in the kidneys, yeah, yeah, so, like yeah. immediately. But
0: I remember one time, um, I grew up in Guatemala before we left to go live there. We lived in New York where I was born. And we were pulling up to a, I'll never forget this. We were pulling up to a stoplight and, you know, there's uh, cop cars everywhere, lights, and everybody was stopped. And so we got, kind of got stopped, and we were all going slowly down one lane. And So my dad rolled down and said, like, hey, what happened to somebody? And they were like, well, the, the motorcycle was behind a car. The, the car in front of the motorcycle was gunning it to get through the stoplight, but then last minute decided not to. So they slammed on their brakes. The motorcycle had gunned it behind him uh, and rammed into the back of the car. Flipped over, literally cleared the intersection and ended up on the hood of a car sixty feet away.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Literally flew yeah. like Superman style. Yeah. Like sixty feet, crossed the intersection, landed on the front of a car. I mean, obviously like unfortunately, they were gone immediately, yeah. you know, yeah. at some point in that journey. They yeah. but I I never forgot that. I, it's not scared me from I've ridden motorcycles a few times three kids now I have yeah. other ways I have other risky things that I do in life it's called yeah. entrepreneurialism yeah, like yeah, yeah. My you know yeah my whole life, yeah, is, my whole life is never yeah. knowing what's happening tomorrow
1: oh yes. Yeah, what what I want a motorcycle for yeah 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 I don't, I don't need that. that my risk tolerance in my life is so high and my daily existence is so risky yeah that at this point I'm like yeah I, I'll come back to that when my daughter's 18.
0: So let's dive into this risky life uh, of yours. Dun, dun, dun. We're beginning. Um, I mean, we've already begun. But uh, Will Acuff, thank you so much for joining me here today. I almost made a. I almost. I almost made a joke. I almost said, "John Acuff, thank you for joining me here today." Uh, nice. Just, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. just a joke. Yeah. No. No. Because I'm I,
1: not deeply insecure about it. No, what I like your listeners you. Listeners can't hear is my head sarcastically saying yes i actually am deeply insecure about yeah,
0: it yeah yes super insecure but you're you're the the less well known
1: uh, very uh, much so <laughs> but uh,
0: wake brother not in my eyes cuz Thank Thank cuz i honestly i'm sure he's a great guy he is, if i never awesome. if i never interacted with him i'm totally cool yeah, yeah, yeah. we are friends i like yeah. who you are and what you're doing yeah. so you are the better a in my mind but you Thank do you. have a brother who's you know pretty yeah. Yeah, pretty he's
1: opening at the ryman tonight for dolly parton like, I was just talking to him on the phone, and he's like, yeah, I'm doing, like, 10 minutes of, like, comedy.
0: Stand up. Um, stand up. Yeah, because that was a pivot he made, like, a couple years ago. Yeah. You know, he's been... He's what, adding
1: he was... in. I wouldn't call it a pivot. I would call it additional revenue sure. stream.
0: Sure. 100%. 100%. <laughs> There's no pivot. Yeah. He is now, you know, author, speaker, you know, comedian. Yeah. um, He was pretty virtually unknown, like 10, 12 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then he wrote this book. I mean, not to
1: me, but to other
0: people, yeah. (laughs) Yes, to all of us. (laughs) You're like, I'm sick of this dude already. Yeah, I've been Um, eating
1: dinner with him for a long time as a child,
0: yeah. um, But you, yeah, so forget John Acuff. um, Will Acuff is here. So so grateful that you are spending time
1: with us. Glad to be here.
0: Tell tell us your story. Like, um, I know that's a lot, yeah. So, whatever comes to mind when I say, you know, tell me about the people, places and things that shaped you into who you are today because I want to spend the chunk a good chunk of time on you know what you're doing, how you're doing it, why you're doing it and you know how it specifically plays out yeah, in the national sure. area. So, what made Because I that? give lots of dams. You do give a lot of dams. Like I've seen I, it firsthand.
1: Um, yeah. Uh, I when I heard the name of your podcast, I was like, I already love all of this. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'll give you kind of Google satellite view and then we can zoom in anywhere you want, right? Um, so born in Durham, North Carolina, my dad was like a campus minister who at the time I didn't realize how radical some of what he was up to. Like he had John Perkins, you know, stay at our home in 1979 to come speak to like young evangelical Duke students. Yeah. Um, but then he went to seminary, Gordon Conwell back in the day up in Massachusetts and the plan was like, go to Massachusetts, come right back to the South. Uh, but he got caught up in the early church planting stuff happening up there. Um, and so started a church in the office of a gas station uh, in like 1985. Um, and this was like as unglorious as you can imagine, right?
0: Uh, how, how how many years were you enduring before you guys, before you all moved up there?
1: Because you're I what, like 33, 34. Oh that's so kind. No, I'm 40. I'm trying to be kind. Yeah, yeah. But for are still young. I thought you were like really being kind and then going to make like no, a note about I know my the you're moisturizer not. I'm using.
0: No, like, you have your face looks really good. Yeah, all of you. it looks really good. Yeah. No, no, it was kind of a joke thing. because you you look you look and act super young and 40 is so young, but I wanted to like really really go young. Yeah, thank you. Thank yeah. you. yeah. So how how <laughs> young were you when you so all moved?
1: So born in 79. The church gets planted in like 85.
0: Um, yeah. So okay. I so you were like, young. I you have like very few years. memories of yeah, yeah. of like Durham.
1: Very little yeah. memory in Durham. Um, but we end up in Massachusetts. This church plant takes off mostly because it was a church, um, or you know, my kids' view and my kid' understanding of it was mm-hmm. this was a church for people who were burnt out on religion um, and were getting exposed to grace in new ways. Right. Uh, it was called Grace Baptist. Right. Uh, It was Baptist technically, but non-denominational in function. Um, In fact, that was a big culture shock for me when I came back to the South and, like, mixed it up with, like, traditional Baptist world. I was like, I don't recognize this. Um, That's a side note. Yeah, they wear their
0: Baptist on their – not just their sleeve, their forehead, and it's everything.
1: Yep. Uh, And so in that context, it was seeing people come to grips with uh, the gospel of grace, right? And, like, oh, my gosh, are you telling me, like, the core of this message is – Um, I don't do anything to deserve this, but yet I get this abundant mercy and I'm ushered into this deep, loving, ongoing relationship. Uh, and because I was, this was, um, kind of a, uh, missional vibe, right. In like a no collar blue collar kind of part of like the Boston bleed about 25, 30 minutes outside the city. Uh, it always felt like we were having an adventure. Like my whole life growing up was like, man, we are having this beautiful adventure. Um, yeah, so I also knew, though, that I didn't want to live in Massachusetts forever because New England winters, like, I think you have a certain number of them. And then once you hit that number, you can stay, but you're going to go into greater and greater depression every winter, right? Um, and I saw that happening, like, grown-ups all around me. Like, I remember that guy used to smile. <laughs> I haven't seen him smile since 94. They're pretty
0: rough. Oh, so I grew up brutal. in New York and spent time in Minnesota. Like, winter, winter, winter is, like, pretty rough. Yeah. It like, gets old after a while because it doesn't go away until, like –
1: no, no. It might start in like late to mid to late October. Yeah, and
0: go till May sometimes. Go till
1: May. Yeah. Like I remember having it's spring long. break in high school, and it was like the Friday for spring break to start, and having to shovel out my car. Yeah. As a senior in high school, I was like, yeah. "This is forget it." Yeah. So I ended up in the South for college. I uh, went to NC State. Um, at the time, uh, thought I was going to do like college and then seminary right after, um, and and really felt this calling to say like what does it look like to be at a large you know, non-Christian campus and see how uh, Christians are engaging with the secular world, right? Maybe how I'd describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, while I was there, I was uh, kind of turned off by some of the ways that the... Um, how do I want to say this? Gently, I would say it as I was turned off by the ways that the mainstream kind of evangelical campus outreaches were disregarding people. Mm. Um, one of those groups coincidentally was fraternities, right? Like there was a lot of this like mockery of like the things you value or what you care about is so awful. Right. Um, and I'd never been interested in that life at all, but I saw that I saw it actually at a skit at one of these, uh, ministries. They did a skit. Remember that Adam Sandler conditioners better? No shampoo is better from his movie. Uh, Billy Madison, I think. Oh yeah. 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 Right. Yep. They did that, but like beer versus liquor and they were supposed to be like frat guys. And they were making fun of them at like a skit. And I look over and there's like this guy with this fraternity hat. And I was like, what is he thinking right now? Like, he's probably thinking, man, F all these people. Like, what is this? You know? Um, And so the very next day I pledged a fraternity to start a Bible study. Um, And that's what I did in college. Um, And it was not great, not well attended. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> give us give us an idea who who came or who didn't come.
1: I mean, like nobody. Nobody. Would come. Can, yeah. 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 I I mean, like I might be able to persuade like two to three people if I could get good enough food, you know. But over and over the conversation, and they were
0: just coming for the good enough food. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. It wasn't like, man. Well, you really opened my eyes. Yeah. Like, said no one ever. Yeah. Right? Um. But what it did for me was, uh, really showed me, oh man, like, what does it look like to love somebody who's not your normal. Like, I'm not connected. I'm not getting a Jeep Wrangler. I'm not going to the DMB show with the frat guys. Like, that wasn't my vibe, right? But how do I love this culture um, in the midst of not being of this culture? Does that make sense? Mm. Um, And it was, yeah, it was a a really interesting journey um, for me during college. And at the same time, started a band, started doing that. Um, And so was thinking about seminary, but then was like, man, I want to do the music thing. Um, when I get out of college, so launched a new band with a group of guys out of Chapel Hill. They were all like, you know, UNC, uh, musicians who were phenomenal. And I was like the one scrappy self-taught guy. Um, what kind
0: of music was it?
1: Uh, I mean like pop rock, Yeah, you know, rock guitars with harmonies. Yeah, it was, it was like, uh, we would love to be the Beatles and we're like, however far removed from the Beatles you can be, but still be playing guitars. Like that's the category.
0: Yep. Um, it's like a genre they haven't really, they haven't really made it into anything yet. But you guys made it in your little corner of,
1: yeah, yeah. We we did our little thing. Um, I mean, got to play live at the Apollo and not get booed off. That was like my high water. Oh, mark. that's that's a yeah. that's a big deal. Yeah, that was a wild ride. Yeah. Um, so had a, a lot of fun during, doing that. Um, but during the so that was like nighttime job. Daytime job was a research analyst at Duke University uh, in health policy. And the way that came to be was. My senior year of college, I would describe this as like a major pivotal moment for me, and what really laid the groundwork for where I'm at now. Uh, I got accepted to go on this trip led by an epidemiologist from UNC, uh, and his wife was a general practitioner. And this was a kind of mission trip without any of the mission stuff. Mm. And what I mean by that is like, I would say I had a great introduction to Um, the Bible and the gospel of grace and things like that, right? Like some really core kind of old school, traditional um, biblical values. But I had no theology of suffering. I had no really deep theology of love of neighbor, Mm. right? Mm. Like I had done the normal, like, you're a high school kid. Go build drywall in the hood, right? Like I'm 40 now. You still don't want me building drywall, right? You definitely didn't want me to do that at 15, when I was only thinking about like how could I flirt more with the girls on the trip with me, yeah, right, um, and had no concept of the context of where we were doing that or why or right. Um, so this trip, this Kenya trip, we met for six months at this doctor's house, um, leading up to that. And we would read, um, we were reading some theological papers, we were reading academic papers, understanding like how resources in North America play out to sub-Saharan African policy, right? All this kind of global economic stuff Mm. that for the first time started giving me a framework for like what I might describe now as like micro love of neighbor and macro love of neighbor. Micro, like, how am I caring for my immediate neighbor or sure. my immediate colleague at yep. work? And macro, like, what are the big issues and how am I leaning into them? Um, and so we went to Kenya, and while we were there, all we did was sit with the local church um, and ask them, like, what are you doing in the face of the AIDS pandemic? What can we learn from you? And so we didn't build anything. We didn't, like, you know, if you were trying to, like, write a fundraising newsletter off of this, you'd be like... We went and we learned and we sat with and you'd be like getting no money. Yeah,
0: yeah, Um, because it's not the traditional. For those of you listening that are not, you know, didn't grow up part of a Christian, you know, in a Christian culture, these mission trips um, were pretty useless, uh, most of them. Yeah, you 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 raise money from your you know your grandma gives you a thousand bucks, your parents give you some money, your neighbors give you some money. You go to this place. For seven days and, you know, two, the first two days are, you know, uh, let's get you, let's get you, you know, situated here. We'll have Mm -hmm. some this and some that. Then when you get to work on day three, it's like painting a wall as if these people can't paint walls. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you know, you know, patting children on the head so you can get your Facebook, you know, next Facebook profile picture. This was before
1: social media.
0: It's like, true. It's oh, true. Man. Yeah, yeah. Because I, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because it would be, it would, it would even be, I mean, and it still exists, but not oh, as yeah. much. Yeah. And then around day five or six, you're ramping down and then you go, you know, on day six, you go to the coast and have like a retreat day, you know, uh-huh. because the other work was so, 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 so hard. Yeah. Um, and then you go home and that was a mission trip and nothing was accomplished, but you got some good like stories and some photos out yep. of it. So this sounds... All that to say, this sounds way different. No, this was than trips that I yeah. observed all growing up.
1: Yeah. And I would say like the best of those trips from what I've seen t- for more mature young people is that it sparks something in them to go deeper. But it doesn't feel like the trip is designed for that. Right. Yeah. Um, like that feels like that just happened because of what's going on with that kid, right? Um, in my experience, I was not that mature high school kid, you know. Um, so I completely missed any kind of opportunity on that front. And then on this trip to Kenya, i had never been out of the country. And now I'm Mm. like, and we, I didn't stay in a hotel. I didn't stay with other um, people on the trip. I stayed um, for the first few days, at least by myself with a Kenyan family with no running water on the edge of the slum. And I was like, this exists in the world. Right. And it's almost cliche. Like, um, stupid, naive white boy has to leave the country to understand that poverty is a thing. Right. Yeah. Um, but, like, yeah, that was part of my story. Um, and came back from that having, like, a visceral experience of, like, I am undone. Mm. Like, things are falling apart for me, and I don't know how to pick up the pieces.
0: So how how did you do that? How did you process through it? Are you still doing that 15 years later, you know? Uh,
1: yeah, even long, Yeah. That well, was yeah, because if you said it, last year of college. That was in six, 2002. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because yeah, so, I,
0: I, I know what you're talking about. I've been there. I have been – I've spent time in 30-ish countries around the world. Most of them were working with uh, people that are poor and impoverished. Mm-hmm. A few countries, you know, I wasn't in that situation.
1: Yeah, and, with World Vision, was that your
0: uh, – n- Well, no, I did – I've done one trip with World Vision. Yeah, yeah I've, a lot of them were with – this is uh before – um. I skipped college for five years. Yeah. I didn't. I yeah. I delayed college for five years and just traveled the world.
1: Yeah, Did helping a gap and
0: serving. Yeah, I did decade. a did a half half a decade gap. Um, and but yeah, I know that feeling where it's it's not the kind of trip we described a few minutes ago where it's like you know you're you're being wined and dined. It was very much you know there was one time we went to visit a, a village and we had to ride bikes and had to get in a this was in Zambia. Mm-hmm. Uh, And we we had to ride bikes like an hour to get to a river, had to cross the river on this raft. You know, there's there's crocodiles in this river, get across, go two more hours on on a bike. So we finally get to this like little village, right? And I remember coming back from those trips and not quite knowing what to do with myself, like physically, mentally, emotionally, everything.
1: Yep, that's where I was. I mean, I walked into, at that point, my parents had moved back to the South. My dad was a pastor in the Chapel Hill, North Carolina area. Um, he moved while I was in college, uh, and I walked into their house, which had never struck me as anything other than just like firmly, you know, middle class, lower middle class. And suddenly it felt opulent. Uh, sure. And I almost vomited like, and it not like in a dramatic way, but almost just like in an instant kind of like physical reaction.
0: Uh, yeah, how can we live this way when yeah, there's that going yes, over
1: there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then the the cognitive and spiritual dissonance right of if the Bible is true like and, and let's just take the New Testament if this story is true and here we have this like uh Jewish carpenter who is God in the flesh who shows an obsessive amount of care about people's physical and spiritual wholeness right like it's this complete thing um, man, I have been missing a big chunk of this my whole life. Mm. Um, and I don't know what to do now. Um, and just yeah, was I mean, the way I dealt with it is I wrote a lot of sad bastard guitar songs, drank too much, um, and read Kerouac. Like that's how I dealt with it. Yeah. Um, and got to and that's actually when I met my wife. She met me at like my most coming undone phase. Uh, yeah, she's
0: still with you years it's, later. So I, well,
1: and it gets even worse. We we I won't go into too much detail. If any of your listeners want to buy me coffee sometime, I'll tell them all about it. But had had a health crisis on our honeymoon. That you know you talk about the t bone moments of your life, where you're heading in one direction and suddenly you know you're t bone at that intersection, and nothing is the same after. Um, I thought that Kenya trip was that, but hmm. then this health crisis really was that, right? So that we came back. Um, in the first you know month, two months of our marriage, and nothing was the same. It was like, you know, here's a building on this property. This is your life. And suddenly you wake up the next morning and there's a, you know, a tornado has come through in the night, and the building is gone. And then you
0: as soon out, as you get it,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And the ground has been salted. like, awesome. What are you going to do now? Um, and that was the real work of all these things that I thought were, I was going to build about me and my life and kind of putting myself, I mean, I've heard you on the podcast before talk about the ego and the role it plays, right? Mm. Everything we're engaged in. Um, I wanted a balanced spiritual life by which I meant I wanted me at the center and a little bit of spirituality, like a side dish, right? Um, A little bit of Jesus. Um, But, after that it was like, no, 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 no. This is the central, this is the meal. Um, and anything else is going to be secondary. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll talk more about that when we get to, yeah, how how things are going in your life and what you're actually doing with your wife, Tiffany, right? And you have a couple kids.
1: Yep. Raylan, uh, and Penelope, uh, both are through domestic adoption, uh, Shelby County kids out of Memphis. Um, yeah. Ben, you know, we were there in the hospital with both of them. Uh and my and Raylan, my seven and a half year old, has autism. Um, he is a child with autism. I where I'm learning people first language and That's making good. sure I live. That's that good. Out. It's important. It it's,
0: oh, yeah. it doesn't seem like it matters in the moment, but but saying it that way matters yeah, yeah. so much.
1: Autism doesn't have him. No. Yeah. Right? Like he doesn't that autism doesn't claim my son's identity. Yeah.
0: Did you know that? Have we talked about our failed domestic adoption? No. Well, I won't go into it. I don't even know if I've talked about it on the podcast. Maybe I've mentioned it in the hundred and something episodes we've done. I'm sure I have. by the way. That's a big deal. Oh, thanks, man. I think, yeah, I think we're like at 130 and it's a fun, I don't know where we're going, but we're going somewhere. Yeah. We're headed somewhere. But yeah, our first, it's um, so about two years into marriage. We've been married, for, my wife and I have been married for 11 years. This will be 12 yeah. this year. And we were going to wait a few years to have kids and- Becky was just chomping at the bit. She just wanted it. She wanted to be a mom. She wanted yeah. to do it. And so we made it like a year and a half, and she was like, "We got let's try. Let's try. So we did. We uh, tried and um, got pregnant right away. Um, turned out to be a very complicated failed pregnancy, yeah. a molar pregnancy, if any of you guys want to go Google that. It's so rare that when we went to the doctor, uh, we went to the hospital, to get it checked out. And, and it, we had met this doctor who said, I know what it is. Like, this is weird, but I know what this is. And he mm-hmm. said, go tell him it's probably a molar pregnancy. We get to the hospital mm-hmm. and we said, I, I think we've miscarried. And we've been told to tell you that it's a molar pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And the doctor was like, a what? And they had to go for like 30 minutes, wow. study up on this thing and come back out. And then they took us back, did all the x-rays. And they're like, yep, th- that's a molar pregnancy. Anyway, it's, wow. it's 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 pretty complicated and potentially harmful to the body and so they said you can't get pregnant for a year mm. versus the normal like six weeks after a yeah. typical miscarriage so we we were to, we were going to adopt our our second child that was our plan was to have one of our own and one adopted Yeah, and um so we one
1: biological and one adopted one biological that's,
0: that's language? also language yeah yeah, yeah one yeah. biological one adopted because they're yeah, both our both own yeah. 100% yeah. um no that's super good i love this language stuff So we were, um, so we decided to flip flop and started the process to adopt uh, domestically. Still expensive, as you as you know, insane (laughs) as you know. Insane. You'd you'd think that like, oh, Memphis is three hours down the road. This will be easy. No, no, not at all. So we were uh, about seven months into the uh, seven months from saying yes, we're going to do this, and we got chosen by a birth mom. Uh, Very unfortunate situation. Young girl. They were very quiet about things, but from what we got, she was raped, and mm. she's 13. And, oh, my gosh. Um, so we were super sad, but also like, okay, we can give this baby a really good life, and this girl needs to have a life. Like, mm-hmm. she needs to finish school and, you know, do all those things. She's really young to be a mom. So, um, yeah, at that point, we were twelve, thirteen thousand dollars 13000 in, and just, we were ready. We are ready. Mm-hmm. We drove down there. The baby was going to be born you know we had a a uh, we had a um, you know car seat and a pack and play in the back and all the clothes and everything yeah, we drove yeah. down got to the hospital about an hour after the baby was born we tried to get sooner and the baby came a little early got there uh, met the baby met the birth mom met mm. her mom uh, everybody's excited everything's going along our lawyer was there with us and uh the three days those were the, maybe the worst three days of my life mm. no not that's not true very hard three days because it was up and down, like right from the get go, the mm-hmm. birth mom started asking to see the baby and then asking again, and that and every lawyer and every doctor will say, if you're if this baby is going to another set of parents, like don't like say goodbye, because yeah. you're gonna yeah these maternal instincts are gonna kick in. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, uh, we yeah yeah that's at 71 hours, wow, literally, that's... she decided to keep the baby and we it's you know heartbreaking for everybody heartbreaking for everybody yeah. i still think i still think about um, this baby all the time becky doesn't and and that's totally fine that she doesn't um, i think about her all the time and think about the birth mom who is now 21 and has an yeah. 8 year old yeah um it's it's tr- i hope that things have worked out but i can't i mean it's just hard
1: yeah it's hard yeah um, i mean the fact that adoption is a thing in the world Sure, that's hard to deal with of the sorrow of human existence. Yeah, like,
0: yeah. um, Whether regardless of how the kid, the child is up for adoption, whether it's death of the parents, or I'm too young, or this wasn't in the plan, or whatever.
1: Yeah, I mean, or I mean, part of our journey has been like, oh, the the systematic uh, landscape of poverty and racism in America, and these other big kind of machines, right, um, contribute to this in a way that is so heartbreaking and mind-boggling um, that if you, I mean, it's much, much easier, as, you know, Tanahisi Coates might say, like, to stay in the dream, don't wake up.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. What would you say to, so you're, you're a Christian, mm-hmm. um, speak for a second to, speak for a second on behalf of Christians that and we'll get into more of that work here. Yeah. How am I going to say this? <laughs> um, speak to people that aren't Christians and on behalf of Christians, mm-hmm. speak to the what it looks like to be wholly pro-life and pro-people, right? Because yeah. there are so many. Uh, we have the 81% that voted for Trump yeah. um, I, yeah. because he is, quote-unquote, pro-life. Mm-hmm. He, he was not pro-life uh, or... To say it another way, anti-abortion until a few years ago when it mm-hmm. benefited him. Yeah. He was pro-choice his entire yeah. life. Um, and yet we have, yeah, this very clear, crystal clear cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. when people say things like he is pro-life or that this is a pro there's a pro-life movement. But they're also, they're ignoring, we won't even get into, we won't even get to immigration and refugees and all that. Let's just talk. Yeah. Everyday situations, poor people. Yeah. How we're tr- how we are punishing them for being poor, and how we mm-hmm. how we don't. I mean, we're not caring for them. We're not caring for them wholly. We're not fully considering what's going on yeah. in in their world that causes yeah. them to do a lot of the things that they do yeah. to survive. To yeah. survive.
1: Yeah. I. I mean. I. So I would start with. Um, I firmly believe in this. Old school doctrine of the Christian faith that you know called the doctrine of the image of God or imago Dei. Imago Dei, um, and this this belief that uh, humans are created in such a unique and almost inexpressible way of reflecting God's glory. Right, um, the Bible's not very clear on what that means. Right, it doesn't say, and this is what follows. Right, um, but it says we're we're created in the image of God, and we somehow uniquely reflect. Um, his, you know, if you think capital C creator, lower C creators, right? Um, And at the same time, the Bible says that we are scar givers and scar receivers, right? Like we are the walking wounded. Um, And so the way I kind of position my understanding of all this is we are all of us broken and beautiful, right? Um, And if we start from that posture... And realize like my brokenness or my beauty might express itself in different ways. You know the journey I've been on, the situation I was born into, my family background, mm. whatever. Right? Um, that starts me on a position of humility um, rather than arrogance. However, if I accept the American triumphalist, you know, vision, then I am um, my achievements. Then I position myself in a meritocracy, right? And if I do that then I can only ever see my own achievements as my own things, right? Which thereby you've already denigrated the image of God in yourself, right? Because you're saying, I didn't receive this, right? You're acting as if you gave uh, breath in your lungs. You didn't. That was a gift, right? And so when you position yourself in this meritocracy fashion, then you expect the same out of everybody else, right? Mm. And you get into this bootstrap mentality um, and you get out into this like there's never an excuse or whatever, right um, and so you stop actually trying to know people or move toward them in mercy and long term compassion because um, you don't give yourself that either, right you're only as good as what you've done for yourself lately. And it's almost like this I think about it like a quarterly sales report, you know you're almost like, what have you done for me lately um
0: yeah, we keep like a ledger. we keep we keep uh, yep. check marks and yeah, tabs and, and, and we, we have apply a little black it to yeah.
1: ourselves. we you know, and we apply it to our communities. I mean, so that's one of the ways that I put, I think about it um, that if we are actually viewing life as a gift and every breath as a gift, um, then it gets really hard to be arrogant towards neighbor no matter what their situation is. Um, and so then, I mean, I think about it in the language of um, Jean Vanier, like the accompaniment language. Like, then one of my goals as a follower of Jesus, like, uh, is to accompany people on their journey in life, right? Saying, come with me as I go to Christ, but I don't have something other than that which I'm getting from him, right? Um, So now we're journeying together, Um, which, again, in the nonprofit space, and I know we're going to get into this, that automatically takes me out of the savior role or the hero position, right? Um, Because I'm saying, no, 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 like, I'm going to the same source of life, that I think you need, we need this source of healing, this source of redemption. Um, I'm not saying I am that source of redemption, right? And often in the nonprofit space, especially in the Christian nonprofit space, we treat neighbors as if they're in this like post-apocalyptic hellscape, Mm. right? And we set them up as victims, right? And then we set up our donors as the heroes, right? Your money can save the day for this kid, right? And we, we word it in such a way... Where it's like I'm affirming your broken worldview that you have your life together, donor, right? And then, hey, kid in the neighborhood, I'm affirming what the world is saying about you that you're worthless.
0: Yeah, and I, I need to, you're not going to be saved unless I come in and do it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And think about what we're doing there, where from a Christian perspective of again this broken and beautiful, I'm telling somebody with money that they don't need a savior because they are the savior, right? And I'm telling a kid or you know someone from a, a underestimated community. Um, that they don't have agency. They don't have creativity, passion, drive, right? But if I affirm that we're creating the image of God, they have all those things. I don't need to give them those things, right? Instead, as a nonprofit, we're coming alongside and saying, how do we build bridges to opportunity? The talent is already there. It just needs a way to express itself.
0: It's powerful. I love that. 2011, you and Tiffany co-found yeah. uh, Corner to Corner yeah, walk me through it.
1: so we so we moved into a historically low income neighborhood in Nashville. Um, if you're familiar with the area, Dickerson Road, um, there's actually a punk rock song. About Dickerson Pike at night. Really? Yeah. It like what imagines, does it say about it? It basically imagines two like kids from Brentwood or Franklin, more like well-heeled suburban areas, yeah. getting lost and ending up on Dickerson Pike at night. It's a hilarious punk rock song.
0: Who who sings it? Do you, I, I honestly, I can't remember. Well, show it to me later. That yeah, sounds it had like fun. nine
1: streams. You yeah. know, it was not a <laughs> well-known tune. <laughs> um, but uh, so we moved into that neighborhood um, simultaneously. Uh, Tiffany, my wife, started working at uh, uh, the men's prison, Charles Bass, and then later she'd move on to Tennessee Prison for Women, and she became a former offender job training specialist, like certified by the Department of Corrections, to help former offenders transition back to stable employment. Right? We're not talking dream jobs, but we're talking one anchor in the midst of that storm as you're coming home. Um, So she was doing that behind bars. And I've shared this story before, but like we were so – Joyfully naive, right? We're just like we don't know any of the answers. We're just lear- leaning in with questions, right? And at the same time, I'm getting my master's in biblical studies. Uh, I'm working in the tech industry. Tiffany's behind bars, um, and we're volunteering for all this stuff. And one day she comes home from work and she's like, "Hey, work was weird, weird today," mm. you know. And you're like, "Huh?" Right? When your wife works behind bars, you're always like a little, you know?
0: Yeah, I hope something didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. What's, what are you talking yeah.
1: about? And it wasn't until that moment that it dawned on me that like part of her work release job was actually by herself taking a van of um, still act, you know, behind bars gentlemen back into the neighborhood to do job interviews. I thought like, like in the movies, there's an armed guard and like the gate and the grate and like all this stuff. No, right? Just her. Just Tiffany in a van. Um, and most of the time it went really well but this day, she said she felt something was up, right? In Christian language, we'd say, like, she was listening to the spirit, right? Uh, and she was like, something's off here. She turned back around uh, and brought the, the van back onto the compound and asked the guards on duty to search the van. Uh, and they found zip ties and a cell phone and, like, duct tape. Yeah. So who knows how that day ends if Tiffany wasn't, like, listening. Shit. Yeah. And, oh and, man. And that's how I found out she wasn't doing this with a guard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Why would they let her? Do, let's just
0: let's just back up for a second. Yeah. She Was she? Did she have a weapon? Like is she? No, no, no. And nothing. these are these are prisoners. These yeah. are incarcerated men yeah. that are that are transitioning
1: transitioning from, uh, to to be minimum trustees. Yeah. Um, but
0: still, they've. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's Very one nice one woman with a bunch of dudes.
1: Yeah, So, but I I say that to highlight, one, how much of a badass Tiffany is. Sure. She's awesome. Yeah. Um, And two, that we were just really – we were leaning in in every way we could, but we also – this was a world we didn't know much about, right, Um, and didn't even know the right questions to ask, right? Sure. But So the beautiful thing that started happening – like that's just one little story. Most of the stories are beautiful, right, was neighbors – folks started coming back from prison, and they were our actual neighbors. Mm. So these relationships started forming, right? And so in 2011, we started planning and praying, like, what would it look like to start um, what we would describe as, like, a gospel-centered ministry, um, but that wasn't doing um, the hero vibe, right? was instead going, how do we become good allies of the community, right? Um, And so we went to a local rec center um, right around the corner from our house and just said, what can we do together, right? Mm. So not like, hey, we've got the solution. We're coming to give it to you. Um, but really in this posture of humility, just going, how could we be on a journey together? Um, and I'll, I'll never forget, because like, we wanted relationships to form, right? Like I think programs are good, but long-term, like life transformation happens through long-term relationship, right? We all know that at mm. gut level. Like I look back at like playing soccer in high school and I'm never like, thank God I learned how to do a corner kick, right? Never said that yeah um, but I did say, oh thank God that one coach saw me and could engage with me at a time where it was tricky to talk to my dad, right and mm. that we formed this relationship. Um, and so we wanted to start a nonprofit that uh was had great programming in partnership with the community, but was also an opportunity for relationship. It's the name corner to corner, right? Like trying to connect, you know, the CEO's corner to the dealer's corner, right? They're both offices, right? Um, yeah. They both have something to give and receive. How do they come on uh, uh, kind of removing some of the barriers um, to both be um, teachers and students together? Um, and so we were wrestling with those questions. Um, this was like more philosophical and methodological than it was like practical, right?
0: Uh, and when did you pull the trigger and actually get going? I mean, you were already doing stuff, but like, when did you say, "Okay, this is more than, you know, a, you know, a side project or yeah. whatever," and make it a full, a full on? This is what we're doing for better yeah. or for worse.
1: I mean, so started in so the first thing they the rec center said was like teach Tiffany stuff that she's doing behind bars in the community. Right, little known fact: Nashville has the number one incarceration rate in the United States per capita, um, according to the Brookings Institute. So really high incarceration rate per the size of our city. Uh, And so they were like, we need this right here. So we just started teaching that. And it was Tiffany's thing. And I was just like the guy who was trying to help students get into the program thing. Uh, And that went on for uh, a while. And then the staff were like, can we also do something with kids? You know, reading, tutoring, da-da-da-da. Reading's the biggest predictor of whether a kid will hit the school-to-prison pipeline on the educational side. Right? there's other factors, but on the education side, that's a big one. Um, and so we just started organically, you know, uh, taking almost like a software development approach, like this iterative: let's try something and tweak it, and try something and tweak it. And it was just funded out of ourselves. and then we had one um, local church start giving us a stipend, um, not like to live on, but just to like buy materials, you know. Uh, and in so we got to we finally became a nonprofit in like 2015 and started trying to learn how to raise money. And in 2016, went full-time. Uh, so fast forward to kind of where we are today. Three core areas of focus, education, economic development, spiritual growth. Um, they're all pretty separate things, right? Um, and what I mean by that is like uh, we have a program called Script to Screen where kids learn how to fall in love with reading through their love of movies. So they start by like watching Black Panther and reading the script at the same time. And to see like a kid's face where he reads a line of dialogue and then he sees it happen on the screen, it's like the first time you saw a five-year-old see a magic trick, Mm. you know? Like there's just this sense of wonder that the world could have this in it, right? And then from there, they start learning how to write their own scripts and we bring in videographers and sound engineers and they teach them about the technical side and then the kids make their own YouTube movie, right? Uh, and then we do a red carpet premiere where the kids are treated like it's Comic-Con. Oh, that's so cool. Right? And at no point in that curriculum do we have an overt, like, And on week five, here's the Bible study part, right? Um, and the reason we take that approach is we we want to build long-term relationships. And if you add in socioeconomic and racial lines, right, and you talk to some of my neighbors, they will tell you, Man, Christians—they come in on these mission trips or they yep. what, whatever, right? Um, they parachute in, and the vibe is they don't actually love me. They want a notch on their Jesus belt, right? Uh, and it it almost feels like I'm trying to sell you on a low mileage Jesus. Yeah, um, sure. And so our approach has been to say, no, no, like we're here for the long haul with you as neighbor. We do have a spiritual growth component if people are interested in that.
0: That's what I was going to ask. Like, is the proselytizing side of it optional? Like, if they say, I have no interest in it. Oh, it's not even— It's not like you put them out and say, okay, well, we can't work with you.
1: Yeah, we lock the door. We change the key. You're
0: just saying, this is an important part of my life. I want to share it with you when the time comes and as a part of our relationship.
1: And And we ground everything we do in the context of the call of Christ to love neighbor as self is unbelievably radical. Um, like I just think about it like from the minute my feet hit the floor in the morning, right, I am building uh, the the day around me to provide me with as much resources as possible, right? Like that's just the function of our life. yeah. And Jesus says, yeah, 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 that circle is good. It's just not big enough. Like he doesn't say stop loving yourself. He just says, take that same devotion and apply it to your neighbor. Don't just care about your kids, care about your neighbor's kids, not just your financial future, your neighbors, right. Um, and so to me, these are expressions of the call to love neighbor as self. And if people want to know more about why we grounded in those kind of ideas, then, yeah, we have, like, last fall we did an awesome, uh, we reviewed Genesis to Revelation in four weeks, like, for anybody who wanted to come. But it's not a part of upfront programming or woven into any programming. Um, so, you have to do this to get this sort yeah, of a yeah, thing. Yeah, not at all. Um, which is meant, though, I will say, in the South... There, there have been a lot of Christians who say you're not Christian enough for oh, me. Oh, sure, of course. Um, and and the phrase I've heard is like, uh, mercy ministry should be an adornment to the gospel, to like the real ministry. Um, and I, I just I disagree. Um, I think that's a wrong. So just
0: translation for that, like, yeah, serving the kids and the people you do is kind of an add-on. It's an extra. The main thing you should do is proselytize. Yeah, yeah, is what if, so many people would. Yeah, yeah, communicate yeah. Well, here in the south, and, and
1: I would say, in a lot of ways, I was raised with the idea of loving your neighbor means that you are um, uh, converting them, right? Yeah. And I, I don't disagree. Like I, in terms of like, I do think loving my neighbor means also telling them about where I ground my hope sure, and yeah. my joy. Absolutely. Who wouldn't? Who
0: wouldn't? We all do yeah. it, whether it's Jesus or pizza or whatever, like movie. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um. So absolutely, I'm not saying that's not a part of my life. But I am also saying that uh, I think there's really good biblical arguments. I mean, like take Ephesians 4.28, this letter that St. Paul writes, where he says, let the thief no longer steal, right, but have a job such that he's able to give back to the community, right? Well, that assumes a living wage, right? So on some level, a Christian community reading that passage should say, oh, wait a minute, in Nashville right now, the living wage is twenty-two sixty-five an hour, according to MIT. And a lot of our neighbors are only getting $9 an hour jobs. If. Right? Yeah. Uh, So how do I, if I agree with the words of St. Paul in Ephesians 4.28, how do I become a part of making, uh, how do I make... Bridging that gap. Yeah. How do we make economic justice and economic development Mm -hmm. a core Christian idea? Right? Um, And so, I mean, another one of our programs along those lines um, is the entrepreneurship program called the Academy where we have helped uh, launch over 211 entrepreneurs, all at like local rec centers, family resource centers. It's this affordable, accessible curriculum um, that is now on average, those graduates are bringing back in $5 million into the neighborhood economy. Uh, And we found out from the state economic development office uh, late last year that we're now the largest producer of minority entrepreneurs in middle Tennessee. And uh, we're on track this year if the growth continues to be, like, the biggest in the state. Um, let's, and, yeah. let's spend a few minutes there. Yeah. That's really – that's it's incredible. Crazy. Like,
0: yeah. when, uh, what kinds of things are they building and doing and growing? Like, what kinds of businesses or, mean, or just anything?
1: All over the map. I mean, like, I'm wearing uh, uh, one of the jackets from one of our graduates. Um, it's, like, an aggressive-looking money bag eating money. Yeah. Um, but he has got Hungry Brand clothing, right? And he made this for my birthday. I love this. uh, uh, That's amazing. Yeah. Um, So he's got, I mean, he's got a clothing brand. I ate lunch today at one of our graduates' restaurants called Coneheads on Dickerson Road. And it's a chicken and waffle concept, but in a waffle cone. And it is delicious. And he was one of our graduates, our first graduates in 2016. Um, We have other folks who have started, um, uh, we have a, a Vanderbilt PhD candidate who launched her language, speech, and pathology clinic out of our program. We have another, uh, a mom of four who launched a boutique and vegan uh, vegetarian ice cream brand, right? Because she wanted to give her uh, kids a healthy alternative to store-bought ice cream, um, but do it on a budget, right? Uh, One of my favorite recent stories is uh, uh, we had a guy named Tony who was the first African-American fire captain named in the city of Nashville who wanted to give his daughters a model of what it looks like to build something you own with your own hands, right? So he came through our program and launched a company called 360 Inventory Solutions that will inventory your business or your home so that in the case of fire or flood, which he was seeing all the time at his day job, you can get your insurance payback quick, right? And so he's launched that business He's already like, he's a hero as a, you know, captain in the fire department. He's a hero to his daughters. And then he comes around uh, to the academy and he calls me with tears of joy in his voice, right? And says, hey, I just made my first sale and I want to donate 100% of it to the academy with Corner to Corner. And I want to come do it with a giant check and really encourage the next group of students. And he shows up on class one night with his own giant check, right, Um, to pay it forward. And so now he's a hero to the community. So cool. Um, so it's it's. How all is that not
0: all your work though? Like, how are you managing that? I mean, that's a that seems like it could be it. It could be yeah, yeah, all yeah. all of what you do every single day. So what's how do you and your team? Yeah, manage. <laughs> I have so that?
1: many dams. Yeah, I've, apparently. Uh, yeah, I mean, so the way we've built it out, uh, so we've got Script to Screen is really growing. It's a kids' movie making program on the educational side. We're we're giving that most of our focus now. Um, on economic development, like we mothballed the former offender training because as the economy in Nashville heated up, neighbors weren't asking us to get help doing a $9 an hour job. Right. And so I don't ever believe a program is the point, the people are the point. Right. So we, uh, mothballed that program and poured our economic resources into entrepreneurship. Um, so that gets a big chunk. Um, and then the spiritual growth stuff is so much more organic you know, that it just happens relationally over time, um, that it's not, it doesn't require as much programmatic attention. Sure. Um, I mean, but the way we build that out, like I'm a big a part of the agile software world. If any of the Scrum Master crowd is listening, I'm Scrum Master, agile product owner in software development. And so we approach the nonprofit life with that kind of agile vibe. And so we function on a Trello Kanban system and just just plug it away.
0: Yeah. I need your help in my life with all my shit that I'm doing. Yeah, um, and we're
1: both Enneagram eights. Yes, and and the iterative approach is good for eights.
0: Yeah, no, I, I know I'm I'm feeling it more than ever with all the things that I have going on. No, that's super. So who uh, script to screen? Who who can get in that? Anyone or do you, like h- how do you pick? Because that that seems like there's some in- there's in some intensity. To that right if they if they yeah. get through and they make a you got to do the red carpet and all that so who yeah. who gets to be in that yeah or anybody
1: yeah so we have one site that's open to anybody um you know as long as parents sign you up and you come right um that's at the McFarren park Rec center over in east nashville where we first started out in 2012 uh and then we've our two other sites right now are through partners um, so like at magruder family resource center we're partnered with preston taylor uh, and their junior high crowd is plugged in, um, and then we're down at J.C. Napier, another set of housing projects in Nashville with the Harvest Hands crowd. Um, but the way that functions is we're looking at scaling that to like ten locations, um, and so we'll do we do leadership training twice a year. Volunteers, partner sites can come out, get trained on the curriculum, get equipped. We line up volunteers, you know, who are from the Nashville film and uh, kind of audio world. Um, to help run that. And then we have this big, huge red carpet party. Um, and the same with the academy now. We're in seven. We have seven sites for this spring all over the city. Got our first uh, Murfreesboro site launching. Um, but we again, we do leadership training where graduates or local business leaders come get certified mm. to lead. Um, and then we pay them as 1099 contractors to honor their time, right? Um, but what we found is consistently the vibe in the entrepreneurial world is high growth, right? Like Silicon Valley mentality has just seeped into everything. Yeah. Um, and we say, no, no, no. Like, because that, the, what comes with that vibe right? is your idea is what gets you in the room and what keeps you in the room, right? And so you're only ever as good as that idea. Right. Right? And so we say, no, 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 no. Again, going back to that doctrine of the image of God, you're in the room because you're a neighbor, yeah. You're in the room because you're an image bearer, and we want to love and serve you well, right? Um, and so the ideas will come and go, and this business training we're giving you is meant to help you pivot and grow and change ideas, right? Um, and so we've formed what I would describe as like an empathetic community of journeyers. Um, and when I first started talking about this, most high-growth people were like, eh, that sounds too touchy-feely. Right. It'll never work, you know? And now, like... It does. It does. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so it's scaling through that kind of model of community-based leadership.
0: You've touched on – I was going to bring up the core values of Corner to Corner. You've already addressed uh, a couple of them, Love Your Neighbor as Yourself, and uh, Ministry of Economic Development, Ministry of Consistency. And talk about past the spotlight. What what does that mean for you all?
1: Yeah. So we – so there's no way to talk about past the spotlight without talking about like how do you dismantle systems of racism let's go right um which again also loses us money in like the christian fundraising world right i've had moments where somebody's like we want to do this for you guys but we just feel like nonprofits are talking too much about race and then we're like, well, thanks. Yeah, this has been a great lunch. Yeah,
0: yeah, we're not going to stop. Yeah. So high five. Yeah, <laughs> um, pay for my lunch and <laughs> we're gone.
1: Yeah, or maybe not even pay for my lunch. <laughs> um, yeah, so past the spotlight, that concept for us means we're not building something. I'm not building the Will Show, right? We're not building something that is about us. Instead, so, like, a functional way of doing that is, like, as soon as we had our first graduating cohort of the academy, mm. we paid the writers of the curriculum to come back in and train our graduates so they could be on stage leading, right? And so that it could mm. replicate that way. So, like, if you come to our graduation, um, our last one had over 500 community members. It is like a block party. It's not that sad. Like, if you've ever been to a nonprofit thing in the basement of a church with, like, oh, bad God. finger food, yeah. right, you can smell that room right now. Yep. Yeah. Right. It is not that. Right. This is. There's a DJ. You walk in. There it's a party. P- yeah. Massive party. Graduates are showing their off their their products. There's their food and drink they've made. You know, like it's this joyful celebration. Um, and, and part of the reason we're doing that is because we want again model. There's no victims here. Right. There are image bearers doing amazing creative things in the world that we're just helping to amplify. Right. Like that's it. And so if you watched that night, you, I would be on stage for two minutes, right? But the rest of the whole thing is a, is the community on stage for an hour and a half, right? So that's kind of what I mean by pass the spotlight. Yep. But then to take that further, what we also mean is there is a real problem, especially in the Christian nonprofit world, of having employees on the ground be maybe of the community, right, black or brown, neighbors but when you get into the executive leadership and then when you get into the board, suddenly it gets whiter and whiter, right? Mm. Um, and I think uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say anything negative about white people, right, as a white dude with yep. an awkward mustache. Yep. Uh, what I am trying to say, though, is we don't divest ourselves of power on purpose in order to create more space for other voices, right? And if I understand the call of Christ to die to self, uh, I think part of what that means is shutting up. Dramatic
0: pause. Yeah, dramatic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah listening.
1: What, but, well, but, yeah, but also um, not assuming that I have the voice of leadership in the room or the smartest idea or, you know what I mean? Like, which means being quiet, which means inviting others to the table. Um, and so, like, where we hope to go with this is – like we hired one of the graduates of the Academy, Shana. She's phenomenal to be the director of the Academy. So she ran it all last year. She's the one who scaled it to six sites this past fall. She's the one who our first year we had 13 graduates. Last year we had 93, right? Like she is doing that. And it's I'm Huge telling, growth in one year. Uh, it, yeah, that was over two years, right? Well, From the, still, yeah. she's, still. She's having insane. Yeah. Um, I want to get out of her way, right? So I'm telling her now, and I've told my board- Shana should be the executive director. Like we should build a clear path of leadership for me to take a board seat, Shayna to become, you know, the executive director.
0: How is that being received by the people that, you know, fellow other board members or um, yeah, the people that you're talking with? That's, that's kind of crazy talk Yeah, yeah, yeah. for the founder of an organization to say here, you know, my position should go to somebody that used to be at the bottom and now they're rising up and they should have that role.
1: Yeah, I mean, so...
0: Or are people saying, that's amazing?
1: Some some people are instantly going, that's awesome. Well, we love it. Others are going, um, that sounds like you're trying to destroy your thing, you know? Um, but I think what it's opened up for is an interesting dialogue of, do we really believe that everyone um, is capable, right? Mm-hmm. Or everyone has ability? Um, and And when it comes to... Like, I'm not saying Shana is going to do things exactly the way I'm doing them, right? But I am saying she's going to bring something powerful and different to the table, right? That will take it in directions that I wouldn't have imagined that will in and of themselves be good and beautiful, right? And at the same time, we're not saying like this is where we're stopping because that would be tokenism, right? Right? We're saying from top to bottom, how do we figure out how to do this well? Um, and we might fail in the trying, right? Right. Um, But we're also, we're adding into that this idea that you and I have talked about, you know, not on the podcast, of we don't raise money off the pity story, Mm. right? We don't do a banquet fundraiser, right? Because I don't know how to get past the genre of it, right? Like, if I say once upon a time, you instantly know I'm telling a fairy tale, right? If you get invited to sponsor a table or a seat at a banquet, you instantly know you get to bear the role of the wealthy person in the room, right? I would dare say you get to be presented as the image bearer of God in the room, right? And at some point in the night, the pity story will come on stage. Either somebody actually sharing how I was lost, but now this nonprofit saved yep, me. saved me. And you can be the savior now by your money, right? So write the check. Or it's a good video, right? Um and it's not Sarah McLaughlin
0: Sally- singing in the arms oh, of an dude. angel is in the background.
1: Yeah. Well, we've gotten better than the Sally Struthers Eye and the Fly stuff from the 80s, yeah. right? Um, but it still has that when you peel back the layers, right? Sure. sure. Um, and so, like, we're doing the divesting ourselves of power in unique ways and bringing other voices to the table while simultaneously trying to raise funds in a way that we think is in line with the gospel. And, and what I mean by that is, like, we are created in the image of God, and at the same time, we are broken. Right, like that is humanity, and I don't want to say to one group, um, "You're beautiful and you can be a savior," and the group that I'm meant to be walking alongside of, "You're worthless unless this money comes to the table." Instead, we because that creates pity, that creates distance, it raises money effectively, but we want to wrestle with how do we still raise money, how do we keep the lights on, but create opportunities for empathy and engagement and moving closer together in the messy nuance of that. And know that it's not going to be efficient, right? Like just upfront own
0: that. Do you – You so you probably would agree or you would probably say that you've raised less money than you could have.
1: Oh, 100%. I often like – I mean so if somebody goes, hey, we're going to this like nonprofit fundraising seminar, right? Uh, I can almost bet money that they're going to teach you how to put your donor on stage as the hero in some way, shape, or form. But I think we're seeing more uh, younger millennials and Gen Zs go, that doesn't feel authentic to us. Like that doesn't seem true. Uh, But we haven't built a new model. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I feel like we're in a stage where we need to dismantle some of the things that the baby boomer generation built.
0: So I am – I worked in nonprofit for 14 years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Does this all sound really familiar?
0: Oh Well, yeah, ex- extremely, in every way. I am skeptical mm-hmm. of the effectiveness of most, not all, but most nonprofit work mm. versus kind of, you know, there's kind of a new, there's a new way. There's another way, not a new way, another way, social enterprise, yep. a lot of different you know, the, the Thistle Farms is of the yeah, world yeah, yeah. and the Ables of the world. And yep. I just named two amazing, you know, organizations here yeah. in, in Nashville. So many more. Um, I don't really need you to convince me, but convince me that there's still a need for nonprofit work in our mm. cities. Yeah, this
1: is good. So let me first talk about impact. And then I'll talk about kind of larger question. Do we still need nonprofit? Yeah. Um, so on the impact side, one of the things we've done Um, Part of my side hustle, because nonprofits don't, you know, make a lot of money, uh, is I do research uh, assistance essentially for Vanderbilt doctors, help them learn how to use like agile methodologies, right, um, for their research. And because of that, we've been able to, from early days, partner with some of these behavioral scientists to say, can you help us make these, you know, pre and post custom surveys that get at a field of research called the social determinants of health, right? Um, and that that's an interesting field. It's really nerdy, but it essentially is saying like community health has multiple layers and we want to understand all of them, right? Such that um, your anxiety levels, right, about providing for your family, they're going to impact how often you get sick and how often you visit a doctor, mm. right? Like they're, yeah. like they're starting to trace those lines. And so so on the academy side, we have this custom survey pre and post, and we're able to show seven out of eight of our markers Right, are uh, from a statistically significant measuring tool, um, are shown to be uh, markedly improved. Right, so in terms of impact, I think like we can demonstrate like real world impact. Yeah. Um, we are decreasing financial anxiety. We are increasing your confidence about the future. Right, which is real world behavioral changes. Um, and then on the economic side, we're actually able to show like people are making this kind of money right which turns into four new tires so that you keep your day job it turns into a down payment on a home right or a kids college savings fund for the first kid going to school right so like real world things so that that'd be my answer on the impact right and we would not be able to do that if i was charging I think what a normal like non what a normal like business training program would charge. Mm. You know, we have others in the area that charge anywhere from fifteen hundred to five grand. Yeah, yeah, it's not and, cheap. Yeah, not cheap. We're charging some like the cost of materials. It's like twenty five to reserve your seat and a hundred to pay off the book. Past that,
0: anybody can figure that out if yeah. they really want.
1: Yeah, to. Yeah, 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 exactly. You got to have some skin in the game. Yeah, like whatever. Um, but I don't think outside of a nonprofit, I don't know how we get that right. Um, so that'd be one argument for the mm-hmm. nonprofit. Um, the other side is I think we lose something major when we aren't calling societies to be more generous for no other reason than they should be in a position of sacrificial humility towards neighbor. Yeah. Um, and so to me, there will always be a place in the market for nonprofits who are helping people to rally around um, Issues that are just going to be meaningful for a city to embrace as part of its identity. Yeah.
0: Those are both really good arguments. Um, so, so now we have hundreds of thousands of nonprofits asking for our money uh-huh. every year.
1: And most of them should die.
0: And most of them that's should just- die. No, 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 no. I So that's what I'm getting at <laughs> yeah. is how— How do no, we no, suss that I out? Know, yeah. I know. I I would never tell certain people this, but like I know— I, I can I can name mm-hmm. organizations I know right now that you're not doing anything really meaningful like yeah, deeply yeah. meaningful yeah, you've learned how to play the game you've learned the how to play the games. game and you should the just go game yeah oh yeah no totally yeah. and so how do so this is what this is my question in in light of me affirming your joke and I I don't think it's a joke that – maybe not most, many of them should die and go away to free up the – It
1: was a joke for all my friends in the nonprofit world. <laughs> but it wasn't a
0: joke for me that I think so many of them should uh-huh. to kind of like let's let's free up the playing field a little bit. Yeah. Uh, how do we – people are hearing, they're mm-hmm. hearing from you today that this is legit what's going on with yeah. Corner to Corner. I mean the, yep. the entrepreneur stuff, the script to screen, there's real work being done here. This is a real good place to put your money, friends. Yeah. Yeah. But how how do how do people know that? What are some key things they can look for as a nonprofit leader? Go, you know, you've yeah. been in the game for a decade. Yeah, like how what can people look for? Uh, whether it's ideas or keywords or like beware of this. Like I've seen this go. Th-, you know, yeah. w- what can people look for? Well,
1: I'll, I'll tell you where as they're I, trying to decide. Yeah.
0: where do they put their little money they have left over? I will over. tell you
1: where I give my money. Right. Okay. Or yeah. What I look for. Sure. Um. So one, I don't I don't trust anything that talks about systematic poverty without also talking about racism if we're talking about the United States. That's solid, yeah. Um, So an example of this, like, I won't name names, but there's certain nonprofits and and kind of books that I've read where they talk really intelligently about some of the complicated features of poverty in America, but never mention, um, you know, redlining policy or how this uh, neighborhood incarcerates more black men than any other category, right, Um, or sentencing laws and the structure around that, right? And to me, that's a little bit like if I gave you a book – on how to survive on Mars, right? And nowhere mentioned that there's no water. You'd be like, this book was missing a key element. Right? Very key. Right? Um, and so so I would say that first off. Um, and then I would decide what matters most to you um, in terms of do you want to put your money in a place where mercy is demonstrated for no other reason than mercy? That's a great value. Just own it, right? Um, there's some good things that are doing that. If, however, for you, uh, life transition and, like, outcome is more important, ask to see the data, right? Um, yeah, see and, – and I would also say see who's already partnering them, right, partnering with them. Um, so that's some of the ways that we, Tiffany and I, gauge who we're giving. Um, and then, I mean, personally, I meet with whoever I'm going to give. Like, that's just how we – Yeah, that's important. Yeah, like I want to uh, – because I would also say I don't give a dime – to anybody who positions themselves as a savior, just I, it instantly makes. And, me and go, so many I don't times you.
0: you can't figure that out from a website or a promo video. So well, I, I trying to think get you can okay
1: on um, yeah. So like translation here here's I won't again not naming names recent video this is in the last ten months right uh, Christian nonprofit their fundraising video described the neighborhood as a toxic environment where there were no positive role models right right away i'm done that's bad yeah right but if you're not looking for that language you can watch this video with the inspiring music and the story of the young man right and by the end of it you are so emotionally engaged that you stopped hearing what they're really saying right um yeah
0: that makes total sense and I want to find we'll, – we'll talk offline about that video. <laughs> well,
1: what's funny, I'm doing um, – so Lipscomb University, that their film department, Melissa Forte over there, she's awesome. We, Her and I put together a project. We're presenting at this, like, college nonprofit thing um, on dismantling the pity story. And we actually filmed a video of a friend of mine who's a former five-deuce crip, you know, had the, the life of the streets, all the things in the dramatic, you know, after-school special, right? Uh, we filmed – Um, Just a free-range interview for like probably two hours. And we're challenging her film students to make two different edits. Make the nonprofit edit and then make the real edit, right? And then we're going to present them side by side. We're going to change the B-roll, you know. One's like gritty streets, you know, desaturated. One is like, you know, positive Nashville in color, you know, all these things. And see how people respond to both. And we're going to really challenge this group of you know nonprofit educators. That's wild. To like tell a different story. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess you can. You can tell a lot of that from. I just think you're going to really get the story when you sit across the table from somebody. Absolutely. Over a meal, a cup of coffee, yeah, yeah, yeah. ask the hard questions, see them squirm or not squirm, see them you know look look off and look down yeah. and you know not I, yeah. You you and 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 you should be able to with so many of these organizations you, you you can have access to somebody especially if you're saying I want to be committed to you all yeah but I want to make sure
1: I, I promise you if you reach out to most local nonprofits and yeah. say hey I want to be a local I want to be a monthly donor they're gonna get coffee with you
0: yeah hundred percent
1: yeah I'm gonna get coffee with you yeah will at corner dot org
0: <laughs> if you're in the middle Tennessee area
1: or not I will drive I mean the monthly donation dollar amount you know gets me to leave the state
0: I love it. I love it. Let's talk for a minute about uh, how long it takes to start things,
1: because mm. I noticed your yeah. timeline earlier. Yeah,
0: on the website, and you said it 2011 is when it started. Yeah, when it started. Yeah, you know, and you didn't. You didn't become a nonprofit until 2015, mm-hmm. 16, 15. Yeah, and now we're you know we're 2020, mm-hmm. and you're still t- you're still saying things like I will drive for a monthly donation, like. We want things so quickly, mm, yeah. And in reality, they take so fucking long. Yeah, so they long. take so yeah. long to. And, and, and this is why people like peter out, and they like yep. they 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 come in with you know they come in with this passion, and I'm gonna do it, and this is a thing that's important to me, whether it's nonprofit or otherwise. Mm-hmm. But and we can't stick with it. We can't stick yeah. with it because it was too hard and it yeah. took too long. And I thought it was going to be this way. And my social media following isn't growing. And whatever it is, yeah. yeah. So talk us through like h- how and why did you keep going all those yeah. years before you even, before it even became a real what yeah. we would see think of as like a real organization. Yeah. Nobody's given to your shit if you're not a nonprofit, right? Because they're, yeah, no, no, no. they're not getting their they're not getting their their tax ducking at is. the end. Yeah. So like four years of. Really feeling it out and get, you know and asking questions and sitting in silence and listening mm-hmm. before it actually became a thing. Talk about that.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'll talk about that and then a new thing we're starting now and the timeline related to that. Yeah, right? sure. Because I think it's, it's interesting. Um, I think passion gets you in the game, right? But uh, learning to have a lifestyle of long-term suffering – Right is what keeps you in the game, and I don't even just mean that about a business vision, an entrepreneurial thing, or a nonprofit. I also mean like your family.
0: That's everything, right? Marriage, yes, kids. Like there are some neighbors. There
1: are some things that don't bear fruit unless you stick with them for decades. Period. Right. And the 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 message I think that we're embodying in almost in every form of media is like, no, no, no. Nine seconds from now, I can have exactly the thing I wanted. Yep. Right. Um, and this, I, I can't remember if this was Wired Magazine or New Yorker, but there was an interesting article about research showing like what of the Fortune 5000 companies um, were started by 20 somethings or 40 somethings, right? And the bulk were in the 40 somethings, right? The myth of the Silicon Valley, yep. like 23 year old who starts this thing, right? That's yeah, part of- huge
0: cash injection. Grow quickly. You're, yeah. you're at five employees. Next month, you're at 20. Next month, you're at 50. You hired everybody. It looks everything looks pretty, and you're moving and yep. you're growing in your building. And then one year later, you're out of cash because you spent it all on you know catered lunches every day and everything. Yeah. Versus what you're saying, like start with nothing. Mm-hmm. Start with you know build one of whatever your thing is. Yes. Sell it. Then you have enough yep. money to get the you know the materials for two of them, and then you mm-hmm. go on from that. Yep. And
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean in. Endurance is almost more important than anything else. Yeah. Right? Like, And so the way that's played out for us, like, I mean, Tiffany and I, we started, this was purely out of our passion of like, how do we wrestle with these questions of, if we believe this story about Jesus is true, we must live this way. We don't know how. Let's start learning, right? Um, That kept us going for the longest time um, because each new question we were getting answered, each new relationship was like a brand new beautiful discovery right and so that part of it that ongoing adventure was enough to fuel us right um and then we officially became a nonprofit because we were like this thing is growing past our ability mm. as a couple to sustain it and i believe firmly like i am called to be tiffany's husband i'm called to be my kid's dad i am not the only one called to love neighbors right. through the vehicle of corner to corner Right There are tons of people who can be involved in that, and so we really quickly at that point we're like, how do we get more people engaged? How do we give away more control? How do we let more voices into this right? Um, and that's when we um, started learning how to you have to learn how to do fundraising to sustain some of that, right? Yep. um because once it goes past you, you don't have you you're giving away to some degree like your man hour, right. Like before, you could always donate more of your man hours. But when it's somebody else's man hours, that comes with a dollar, right? You can need to pay your people, right? I, I mean, part of the thing that drives me crazy in the nonprofit world is we've accepted this like 1960s ethics guidelines about philanthropy that says like philanthropists should be Broke themselves in the midst of this, yeah, right, yeah, and that if like, I mean, you take the guy who did all the huge cancer walks and races and awareness, right? His TED talk is phenomenal on this. I haven't heard it. Oh, send man. it to me later. I'll send it to you. So oh, I don't good. think I've heard. I've heard so you many TED talks. Posted but... in the show notes. Yeah, I will. I, it's I will. So good. Um, but he argues like. Uh, we take, you know, the average Stanford MBA in a couple of years at a graduation, he's going to be making like, he or she is going to be making like 400,000 plus, right? They give a hundred thousand dollars away. They are philanthropists and their community celebrates them. Right. Meanwhile, that same graduate, he goes to work for a nonprofit. If he makes a hundred thousand or more a year, he's critiqued. Oh right? yeah. And condemned as wasteful. Right. Even though the brain power there, the training, the knowledge for that man or woman, the creativity, right? Um, so, like, we have this really broken, lopsided thing. That was a side note. My no, but point, it's an
0: important side note, but keep yeah, going. Yeah, that's yeah. hugely important. Money. We do that all the time, we do that every day.
1: Yep. And so, like, I tell people straight up, like, what we don't own a building, we're going to spend money on our people. If you don't like that, then go give your money elsewhere. Because I want my people to have stable lives. I can't be about economic development and put and that then on the treat backs my people my like people. shit. Yeah, like that's crazy. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, it's insane.
1: Yeah, but all the time people are like, "I want to give to a program. I don't want to give to a person." And you're like, "Well, I'm. I don't even know what to do with that." Statement. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, cool. You buy camera gear for Script to Screen. I mean, I guess that's not a person.
0: People like, are so weird. Yeah. Uh,
1: what's legitimate? What's not legitimate? Yeah. So I'd say endurance is the big thing. And then not setting your expectations against whoever is your hero, right? I think that's super important. Like we all have a hero in that thing, right? Whether that's a podcast or, I mean, like uh, some crazy nonprofit that just crushed it or whatever, right? Don't compare yourself to your hero. Um, They probably took a long time to get there. And if they didn't, if they had a lightning strike, okay, how often does a lightning strike uh, a man riding a shark Right, like doesn't happen very often. <laughs> yeah, and you should view that in yeah. that framework as a complete
0: anomaly. It's not yeah, going to happen yeah, to you. Get, yeah, get to work.
1: And so, like we, so we launched a new thing um, this past summer that you and I have talked about because we won't tell the pity story, and we feel like we've a little bit handcuffed ourselves um, in the fundraising process, and we're learning new models. Um, we realized that no one had launched something that harnessed the power of the short-term rental marketplace like Airbnb. Um, in order to fund innovative local nonprofit work, mm. uh, and so we launched our own um, as a pilot called Stay for Good. Right, like when you stay here, you're staying for good, uh, and the whole mission is short-term rental but long-term impact. And so an Airbnb owner signs up with us. We feature them on our website. Right, we give them links out so that they get more bookings. Mm. But we also give them a physical and digital signage that says like to the millennial or Gen Z traveler, hey. When you stay here, some of your dollars are going to change neighborhoods for the better, right? Which is a super important message. Like, we want more companies that are transparently doing good. Not in some, like, convoluted way that you really, you trace the line and somewhere it dies, right? But, like, in this immediate way, like, oh, if I stay at this Airbnb in East Nashville, then one of the kids who is not reading at grade level is going to be in this program that will get them back on grade level and help them discover their voice, Um, so we launched stay for good. Well, I pitch it at this business's mission conference. I'm getting heat. I'm getting some buzz. There might be some investors, but then all of that died. Right. Mm. And we're in the phase now where we're, we have users on the platform, but we are one day at a time going after new partners to come on board. We're learning how to pitch better. We're learning how to communicate this mission. Um, and I think we'll get there, right? I think this will end up being something that goes nationwide. But if I had a mind, global baby, yeah, global. I mean, hey, yes. global, I love it. Uh but if I had the mindset that I was given yep. in the Silicon Valley world. You'd have already given up. Yeah. This should be in six months. Oh, really? Well, you guys are only generating like eleven hundred dollars a month for local kids to do this script to screen program. Not enough. Not enough. I yeah. thought you'd be at ten K at least per month by now, you know? And I literally have people say that to me. Yeah. And I, don't I was like, I'm always like, man, that's awesome. High five. Good luck in your life. Yeah. I'm going, right? So I, I guess my answer to that question, a very long answer would be endurance matters more than passion. Um, and you have to find your true north. Because if the outcome is your true north, forget it. You should quit now. Like true north has to be something more substantive than that. Yeah. For me and my family, that is Jesus, right? And that is the adventure of getting to know neighbors in a deeper, more beautiful way than I ever could have imagined. Mm.
0: I want to. There's like so much that we could talk about there, but for the sake of time, before we wrap up, yeah, um, I have a big question at the end. You should start sweating now. It's a big one. Um, I love it. Let's do but it. before we get there, what do you want people to know? Where should they go? What What do you want people to do coming out of this conversation? What do you want yeah. them to look for? I mean, you, you've mentioned script to screen, corner to corner, uh, this stay for good. Like, what's the socials? Where do you want them to yeah. go? Where can they give if they want to?
1: Yeah, corner to cornerorg slash donate. It's that simple. Like, would love um, if you have an extra $5 or 500 like, do that, please. That really has an immediate impact. Um, if you're in the Nashville area and you want to learn more about this, uh, email me, will at corner cornerorg Like, I would love to invite you to our red carpet premiere where the kids are celebrated uh, or the next graduation, which is coming up in May for our entrepreneurs. I'd love you to come and taste and see. Right? It's one thing to hear me talk about it. It's another thing to experience it. Um, so that would be another call to action. And then uh, if you're interested in Stay For Good, um, go to stayforgood.co. Um, we couldn't afford the M, right? Like I tried and they were like so – It was
0: probably like uh, – It was like $30,000. Yeah. I
1: was like, that's awesome. We will not We'll go with Co. Yeah, we're going to stayforgood.co. Um, go there. Check that out. If you're in the Nashville area, sign up. Like, I would love to have you. Yeah, so that.
0: we're, so uh, good question. So no one outside of Nashville right now can be on Stay for Good, or how is that? Work?
1: Not yeah. yet. The way, the vision for this is, right, we want to fund innovative local nonprofit work. Yep. So we're in early talks with, like, some folks in Boston. So if 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 you're listening to this and you're, like, in Tacoma, right, Uh, then we would love to come to Tacoma. If you're an innovative nonprofit, reach out to me, again, at that email address. Um, because the way this is going to work is we'll partner with one nonprofit first in that city. Yep. We get to 100 users on the platform, and then and only then we'll, we'll start to add a couple more, but we'll max out at four. Because we don't want this to be smile.amazon.com, which gives yeah. you $9. And they get
0: a check every nine months for $1.36. Yeah, it's like yeah. this
1: bought us erasers yeah. for a Q4. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. No, we want this to be um, you know, where we're giving hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to our on-the-ground partners. Like, that's the vision for this. I love it. Because we want to fund risky work, right? Part of the nonprofit thing, part of what you know from your work in that, you learn how to play the game, right? You get these three-year grants that are robust but allow no flexibility. And then even if something's working, you can't, not working, you can't change it, right? You have to stick to the grant and the grant reporting. And then we wonder, oh, man, we have the same intractable social ills that they are dealing with 50 years ago. And it's, I think, In part because we won't fund things that might fail, right? And so, like, we want to fund things. If seven out of ten of our things failed, but three of them became grand slams and life Mm -hmm. change, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, that's powerful. Okay, all those will be in the show notes as well. Um, Here's last question.
1: The sweat, the sweat induced
0: one. The sweat, the sweaty question. That's weird. That sounds weird. There are no sweaty questions here. Yeah. Someday you're gonna die. Mm-hmm. Many years from now, because yeah. you're so young and good looking. Yeah, and um, I use the right moisturizer. And use the right moisturizer. He's so moisturized, guys. You should yeah. see him. Um, but someday you're gonna die, and for some odd reason, I'm still alive, and uh, I'm giving your eulogy. So mm-hmm. everybody's there: Tiffany, the yeah. kids, corner to corner, script to screen, yeah. stay for good. All the people you've been able to work with and influence, and yeah. you know, and serve and love throughout the years—they're all there. And again, for some reason, I'm giving your eulogy. I yeah. am speaking words that are meant to celebrate and mourn your life yeah. and legacy.
1: Eulogy values versus resume values.
0: Eulogy values, resume values. Yes. What am I saying on that day mm. about you?
1: Yeah, man, that is a, a sweat-induced question. Um, my hope and my prayer would be that you would say, this is a guy who loved and served his family really well. Um start there. Um, I mean, I mentioned my son and his special needs and that has really reshaped, uh, the nuances of my ambition Mm. in the world. Yeah. I don't think I can love and serve neighbor. Well, if I'm not first loving and serving my son well, and also embracing the gift of my own limitations. Um, so I would say first loved and served his family really well. Uh, and I would say second, um, did everything possible to live a life of love toward neighbor and never stopped being curious and adventurous about that. Like never got static. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think third, maybe extra bonus point would be like, this guy was uh, weirdly consistent, right? Like I think the older I get, the more I find that um, consistency is important. The way I treat my wife, the way I treat my kids, the way I treat my neighbor in season, out of season, whatever suffering I'm going through, if I'm able to lean in love toward other and consistently do that, like just beautiful things happen.
0: It's amazing. That that would be a wonderful life. Well, I hope I hope you get every all of that. Um I think we talked about, I think it was Josh Radner and I talked about yeah. Yeah. Is that yeah, what you got I've it? Yeah. You've been listening. To the hey guys, we'll listen to the podcast. You I should, do. I hope you're listening to every episode.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and the fact that you had Josh Radner, aka Ted Mosby on. Like Yeah, it's pretty fun. That's
0: solid. But I, you know, I I will be completely honest with you right now. I am as happy to talk to Ted Mosby as I am to talk to you. Thanks, man. I'm I'm serious. Yeah. Like I don't tell don't tell Josh Radner or Chelsea Clinton or Rain Wilson this but like in other people that I've had on that have more of a platform like